One of my favorite prayers in all the Bible is in John 17, where, of course, the whole, the whole chapter is a prayer. But Jesus prays this, and I pray this almost every week uh, for our time together when we open up God's Word. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. And that's my prayer this morning, is that God would sanctify us in the truth this morning, that he would set us apart, he would transform us, he would make us more like his son in the truth, and his word is truth. Well, today, um, if, if you were following along as Mike was reading, it's, it's, it's evident that this passage is about the scriptures, it's about the word of God, and so today I want to address to you the importance of of the Word of God, and maybe importance isn't the right word, the, the power and authority and the sufficiency and the glory of God's Word. It's not an understatement to say that we live by the Word of God. Now, not biological life, right? Someone can walk around biologically and still do that without God's Word, but spiritually, we live, or not, by God's word. Jesus said in the wilderness to the devil when he was tempted, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that's, that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, we live by God's word. It's no surprise that at this time that we live in, there's a decreasing commitment to the word of God as the word of God, even among professing Christians side by side with an increase in some of the most pernicious deception and confusion that our world has ever seen. We live in bizarro world these days. I don't know if you, I don't know how you couldn't have seen at least some of this this past week, but this past week we saw some very strange things in the news or on social media that the fastest woman swimmer in college is actually a man. I don't know if you saw that or not. And that uh, one of the individuals up for Woman of the Year for USA Today is actually a man. And of course, we're supposed to believe this. But as Christians, we can't. We are to live by the truth and not live by lies. But how did we get here? How did we get to this place in human history, this place in Western civilization. Well, I think Romans 1 helps to describe our present insanity. Uh, Romans 1.25 says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They, they, they exchanged God's truth for lies and then it led them to worship created things rather than God the Creator. It's also no surprise that at a time when there's a complete breakdown of trust in our institutions, and I'm not saying our institutions are perfect, but things that we generally would trust to some degree, not absolutely, but to some degree, whether it's medical, scientific, political, media, law enforcement, at the same time there is a growing distrust in the reliability of the Scriptures. There's a general distrust of any kind of authority. The Bible used to be commonly referred to as the Word of God. 
I heard some hip, cool preacher this last week say, I don't like to refer to the Bible as the Word of God. I like to call it ancient documents. Um, and he said, you know, we, we love them, we, we appreciate them, but his point was, we're not sure if they're completely reliable, if we can trust them to be called God's words. Increasingly, if you hold to biblical fidelity and place yourself under the authority of Scripture on things like sexual ethics and other things, you will be seen as outdated, as backwards, as an outcast, and possibly even dangerous. In other words, you'll be marginalized, you will be persecuted to some degree. Now, of course, if you go along with the culture or remain silent, you won't. You won't experience any of those things. And many have, and many more will. I don't know if you've heard of the phrase progressive Christianity. That's what it's called these days. You ever heard of that before? Progressive Christianity. It's the idea that we need to make progress with the times and change what, what we believe according to the times in which we live. It's like this. We can't really expect Christians to believe what they believed way back before we had Google, right? I'm joking, of course. Well, of course, we can and we must believe what they believed 100 years ago and 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago and way back to the time when the scriptures were written. The point of our text this morning is clear. Here's what it is. As the world proceeds from bad to worse, we as Christians are called to continue in the word of God. As the the world continues down this path from bad to worse, we are to continue. There's two phrases or words in our passage. We're to continue in the sacred writings or in the scriptures. This is exactly what Paul's talking about in 2 Timothy 3. Remember back to the beginning of the chapter when Paul said, in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. The difficulty, of course, is described as coming from people who are described in various ways, but I think there's this list of how these people are described. Reed talked about it two weeks ago. Go back and listen to that. But I think bracketed in this description is they are lovers of self and they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In other words, they they love themselves, they love to please themselves, they don't love God. They're defined by self-love. We call it narcissism. Paul says these are the people who who will persecute Christians. These are the people who proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But... Then there's this pivot in our passage. Verse 14, Paul says, But, Timothy, as for you, you're to continue in what you've learned, what you've firmly believed. You're to continue in the things that you have heard, that you, that you, that, that you received and that you learned. And he says, And remember who you learned it from. No doubt, Timothy learned from his mother and grandmother. If you remember back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul commended his mother and grandmother as those who raised him in the truth. But of course, the one that he learned from probably most is Paul, was Paul. 
Then look at how Paul Paul reminds Timothy of the ultimate source of what he learned, namely the sacred writings or the scriptures, no doubt referring to the scriptures of the Old Testament and perhaps some of the New Testament scriptures that were circulating at the time. I think of the book of Ephesians, which Timothy was in Ephesus. He probably had received that. These writings were able to make Timothy wise for salvation, and he was being called to continue in them. I think right here, it's worth saying, I think I said this maybe a few weeks ago, I, I, I kind of remember, I think I said something like this, but there's, some, there's a conserving or conservative quality of the Christian faith. Think of Second John, I think it's verse 9, that says, be careful about those who go on ahead of the truth. Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, he's, or 2 Corinthians 4, he says we need to be careful not to go beyond what is written. There's a conserving quality to, to, to Christianity. We're to be careful. Paul urges Timothy over and over again, guard the good deposit. Watch out for those who say they have special knowledge or whatever. Be careful. Brothers and sisters, there are only two options before us today. Will we go the way of the world, which inevitably leads to deception and confusion, and quite frankly, off a cliff, or will we go against the current and continue in the word of God? Will we go against the current? Will we go against the wind, into the, right, right into the wind and continue in the word of God? We need to hear this today. We need to take it to heart. There's only two options. That's it. As the world proceeds from bad to worse, Christians, we as God's people, saved by the blood of Christ, are to continue in the word of God. What you believe about the Bible has everything to do with your commitment and steadfastness in it, in the face of hostility to the truth. So we're given in these verses, we're given three reasons to continue in the scriptures. I'm gonna just name them, then we're gonna back up and go through one at a time. Three reasons to continue in the scriptures. The first is the nature of scripture. What is it? What what is this that we hold in our hands? The second is the value of Scripture. And the third is the sufficiency of Scripture. These three truths serve as three cords to tether us to the Bible so that we continue in it. Okay? So the first is the nature of Scripture. What is the nature of Scripture? What is Scripture in its most basic foundational essence. The first words of verse 16 say this, all scripture is breathed out by God. This is one of the most important statements on what the Bible is in all the Bible. In fact, when it comes to the nature of scripture, what it actually is, I think this is par excellence. This is like the go-to place. Now, some translations, if you have the New American Standard or King James or New King James, it it uses the word inspired or inspiration. All scriptures inspired by God or all scriptures given by inspiration of God. 
I don't think that's the best translation. Certainly the way we use the word inspiration or inspired today, I don't think would fit what Paul is trying to communicate here. All scripture is breathed out by God. What is the nature of scripture? What does it mean to be breathed out by God? It means this. It means nothing less than that scripture is a divine product. The scriptures are not the product of human authors that God comes along and gives inspiration to. Like, right, like kind of a, a, a boost in their step as they're working. Inspiration, right? The scriptures are not the product of human authors that God breathes into or even breathes upon them. Notice it says all scriptures breathed out by God. The word translated breathed out by God is the Greek word theanoustos. It's made up of two words, theos, the Greek word for God, and noustos, it's the word for breath. What is scripture? Scripture is the breath of God. When you speak, what are you doing? You're breathing out, right? When you speak, you're breathing out. The scriptures are the breath of God. That's what the, scripture, that's what the scriptures are. God breathing out, God speaking. It is not a human product. We need to know that. It's not merely ancient documents written by Moses, David, Isaiah, Paul, Peter, and so forth. Now, of course, we use language like that. Paul said, Moses said, David said, and so forth. But it's more than that, so much more than that. It's the breath of God. God does not breathe into the pages, the words on the page. The words on the page of Scripture are the very product of God's creative, divine breath. The breath of God in Scripture is a symbol of his mighty power. Listen to what David said in Psalm 33, 6. He said, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Creation came into being, the heavens, the host of heaven, by the breath of the Lord. And of course, we understand that in the beginning, God created all of it out of nothing by the breath of his mouth. He didn't go to the tool shed and get some tools and some materials and start building stuff. He spoke it. Paul makes this connection about the power of the breath of God. Um, of course, knowing the Old Testament well, in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, when he describes how Jesus will destroy the end times figure, the man of lawlessness. Listen to this. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. We sang earlier, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage uh, we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. It's not my words. It's not yours. His doom is sure because Christ will come and destroy him with the word of his mouth. Think of the imagery of Christ coming, his second coming. He's, he's riding on a white horse. What's coming out of his mouth? Do you guys know? Sharp, two-edged sword. 
I don't really think Jesus is going to come physically with the sword coming out of his mouth. It's symbolic of the power of his word by which he will destroy his enemies. How will Jesus deal with the lawless one by the breath of his mouth? Christ will destroy him by his word. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's the product of God's divine and creative power. So when you hold this book in your hand, you're not holding mere human words. No way. You're holding the very words of God. The apostle Peter elaborated a bit on this and I think helps us to understand the human authors, how they're a part of God's word in 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21 when he says, and we know we, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot here. This could be a whole message. I would love to do it, but I can't, okay? But just want to draw out a couple things. First, Peter says that Notice Peter says that that the scriptures are something more sure. We have something more sure in the prophetic scriptures. What is it more sure then? Well, in the context, Peter's talking about the experience that he had with James and John on top of the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ transfigured before their eyes, speaking with Moses and Elijah. That'd be pretty amazing. Who wouldn't want to be there? Right? And Peter says, we have something more sure than that. And he tells us why. Because the written scriptures are divine. They're not produced by the will of man. He says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The human authors of scripture were not merely given some inspiration. They were not just managed or supervised as they wrote. They spoke from God and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, which I think means that they wrote what God intended for them to write. And so, At the end of the day, let it be said, this is what scripture is. This is the nature of scripture. What the scriptures speak, God speaks. That's it. What the scriptures speak, God speaks. All scripture is breathed out by God. Meaning that what the scriptures say, God says, whether Old Testament or New Testament. Whether we're talking about the law Right, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, whether we're talking about the prophets, the Psalms, the letters, the Gospels, Revelation, Genesis, it's all scripture, it's all breathed out by God. It's all what God says. A.W. Tozier said, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. It's all breathed out by God. This text, of course, clearly affirms that, that we need all scripture. It's all good for us. The Lord Jesus Christ also 
affirm this. And of course, we would say he's a pretty good authority on this subject, don't you think? Christ had a high view of Scripture, and so should we. B.B. Warfield died in the early, he was a theologian that died in the early, early 20th century, wrote an excellent essay on the nature of Scripture, and he said the following on this text we're looking at today. He said, in a word, what is declared by this fundamental passage is simply that the Scriptures are divine. No term could have been chosen which would have more emphatically asserted the divine production of Scripture than that which Paul here used. Paul wanted to emphatically and unambiguously communicate that Scripture is divine. It's a product of God's divine will. And so he said all Scripture is theanoustos, breathed out by God. If these are the very words of God, if the scripture contains the very words of God, then what Christ said in John 10.35 is abundantly true. He said the scriptures cannot be broken. And if this is true, then what other foundation could we possibly want to stand on than scripture? What other path would we ever want to continue on than what God says? following God's word. If all scripture is breathed out by God and cannot be broken, then the word of the sovereign Lord, listen to me carefully, it must have ultimate authority in our lives. It must. The passages we just readily love and the passages that are harder for us to accept. It's all breathed out by God. It must have ultimate authority and it must be fully trusted. Now, of course, I can hear some say, hopefully, I don't think here, hopefully not, but maybe. I've heard this before. The argument that you're you're honoring God's word above God himself. We We don't worship a book. We worship a person. We worship God. And of course, that's totally true. But I would suggest to the contrary, we're simply taking God at his word and to do so, this honors him. We we sang all these songs earlier that move our hearts, right? That we, these truths about God that we love, how do we know these things? There's a really popular teacher right now. Well, he's been popular for a long time, but he's he's, he's, he's made splashes lately. Because he says, you know, we don't live by a book, we live by an event that Jesus rose from the dead. And of course it's like, well, amen, yeah, we do live by the resurrection of Christ, but how do we know that he rose from the dead? And how do we know what the resurrection even means? And how do we understand the power of the resurrection for our lives, except by a book? Theanustas, God-breathed book. Once we understand what the nature of Scripture is, that it's divine, that it's God-breathed, the other two reasons we're going to look at here briefly just follow naturally. Of course, if God's Word is divine, if, it's God, if, if the Scriptures are God-breathed, this makes perfect sense. So what follows is 
God's word is not only God-breathed, it's not only divine in nature, but it's also of immense value. That's the second point, immense value, the value of scripture. Look at verse 16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Do we understand the incalculable value of scripture? Remember those old, I think it was MasterCard commercials? Whereas there were various ones of them, several of them, but one with like a dad and his son, they're going fishing or something like that, and it says the cost of a, of a fishing pole, 80 bucks, the cost of a fishing license, 30 bucks, the cost of worms, five bucks, the time spent with your son, priceless. You guys remember those? Truly, the scriptures are priceless. Since the scripture is the product of God's omnipotent, creative breath, it derives its value from nothing less than its divine quality. We don't assign value to it mainly, not in the first instance anyways, because of how it benefits us, because of how it pragmatically helps us. Of course it does in myriad ways, but it is priceless because it's God's words first and foremost. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 72. He said, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now, if you have any idea what gold's worth today, it's worth quite a bit. Thousands of gold and silver pieces, I don't know. That's certainly millions of dollars. He's essentially saying, if I could have all the money to buy whatever I wanted for the rest of my life and live in total comfort, it wouldn't compare with the treasure of your word. Specifically in our text, the the Bible, the scriptures are supremely valuable for everything that pertains to life and godliness. It doesn't use those words, but I think that's what is drawn out here. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, listen, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of how the scriptures profit us, but I think it's a pretty good start, a pretty good place to start. The first pair, so there's four things, right? It's good for teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. And I think, I think it's helpful to put them in two pairs. The first two have to do with doctrine. The second two have to do with conduct. So first, the scripture is valuable for teaching. Of course, this means doctrinal truth. What is true? What is false? Our understanding of God and mankind and sin and why the world is the way that it is comes from scripture. The scriptures teach us who Christ is and what he's done to save sinners and reconcile us to God the Father. The scriptures teach us what God's plans are for the future and how Christ will come and make everything right. The scriptures teach us how to live in a way that pleases God. And things that displease him. The scriptures teach us that we can only live a life that pleases God in the power of the Holy Spirit and reliance upon him. The scriptures are infinitely valuable for teaching, for doctrine, for healthy 
doctrine. Without God's word, we are stumbling in the dark. Listen, without God's word, here's what we're doing. We're following our own hearts. That's what we're doing. And many do. We need God's word to teach us truth. The second, scripture is valuable for reproof. I think what's in view here is the refutation of error. Has anyone here ever been in error? Of course we have. This is not meant to beat us over the head. It's good for us. It's valuable for us. The Bible not only gives us the positive truth for for healthy doctrine, it also rebukes us. It refutes error. It reproves us when we need to be turned around. I wonder if this has ever happened to you. you, It's happened to me many times. Have you you ever been reading the Bible or maybe listening to someone expound a passage and came to a verse that felt like it was sternly warning and rebuking you very personally? Has that ever happened to you? I hope it has. We have not arrived yet. I hope that it has. It's good. It's God's goodness it's profitable both the positive teaching and what might be considered the negative side of that the reproof both of these things are needed for the healthy church for the church to be healthy and for an individual to be healthy it is for want of either one of these that an individual or church strays into danger The scriptures are valuable for teaching and for reproof, but they're also valuable for correction. Now, that might sound like the same thing as reproof, but it's, it's a little different. The, Gre- the word here comes from the Greek word for straight. And I think the idea is that the word of God straightens us out. It straightens out our lives. Apart from the, the teaching and reproof of God's word, our lives are crooked and twisted like a pretzel And the way that we live is twisted and crooked like that. But those who receive its teaching and its reproof find their lives beginning to straighten out. Think of, I'm not trying to pick on him. All of us could say this, but I think of someone like our brother John Hannigan, his life. We're We're all a work in progress, but it's clear. We remember John when, when he was not in a good place. And his life is beginning to straighten out. Praise God. That's what God's word does. And finally, scripture is valuable for training in righteousness. The word training is a very interesting, quite frankly, it's a very pregnant word. It's the Greek word paideia, paideia. In Greek culture, this word was used to describe the entire education process for a child to be raised up and encultured in, as a Greek citizen. For the Christian, it is the entire training regiment, the entire program of discipleship in a life of righteous living. It's the word that's used when it it says fathers, don't exasperate your kids' anger, but bring them up in the discipline, in the training, in the paideia of the Lord. Remember the last part of the Great Commission? 
And Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he said this, and teach them to do what? To think about all that I've commanded? No, to obey. To do all that I've commanded. To observe, to, to, to obey all that I've commanded. That's what scripture's for. The words of Christ. The scriptures are profitable for training in righteousness. A Puritan named John Flavel said this. The scriptures teach us the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering, and the most comfortable way of dying. It trains us in righteousness. Do you want to live well? Do you want to suffer well when the time comes? Do you want to die well? then immerse yourself in the scriptures and let your life be shaped by them. It will profit you in every way. It is immensely valuable, infinitely valuable. So though the world is progressing from bad to worse in deception and confusion, we're to continue in the word because of the nature of scripture. It's God-breathed and because it's immeasurably immeasurably valuable and finally, because it is sufficient. Look at verse 17. Let me just read the whole passage again. All scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is such a comprehensive statement, isn't it? The word of God equips us, makes us competent and equipped for every good work. The word that at the beginning of verse 17 is key. It tells us that what follows is about purpose. The purpose of the God-breathed scripture in profiting us in all these ways is this that we would be competent and equipped for every good work. That we would be complete and fully furnished for everything God intends for us to do. And maybe that's key. Everything that God intends for us to do. Everything that God wants for us to do. There's all kinds of things that we may feel like we're not equipped to do, but we'll be equipped to do everything God has for us to do. We need to understand this. The word of God is not only without error. I think most professing Christians, at least intellectually, well, okay, maybe a lot of Christians, at least intellectually, would agree with that. The question is, is the Bible sufficient? In other words, do we need information or revelation outside the Bible? Perhaps a secret message to success that God has not spoken in the scriptures in order to know what to believe and how to live for his glory? Or is it sufficient? I think Paul's answer is that scripture is sufficient. Now, two words here. Competent means, it means to be complete or perfect. Scripture is given to us that the man of God may be competent or complete and perfect. 
The word of God makes us complete or perfect for the purposes of God. And the word equipped, it equips us. The word equipped means to be fully furnished. Think of a soldier going out on the battlefield with everything he needs to go out and triumph. Every piece of equipment, the full armor of God, the breastplate, the helmet, the shoes, the sword, the shield, everything. Think of the farmer who is fully furnished with every piece of equipment and every tool he needs to go out and till the ground and plant the seed and water and weed and harvest his field. The word of God makes us competent and fully furnished for every good work. Don't just think every good spiritual work as though, you know, like the the spiritual things. It, it, It equips us to worship God with all of our hearts. It certainly does that. But Paul does not differentiate like that. It equips us for the work of loving and serving in the church. It equips us for the work of nurturing and raising children and the work of doing your vocational work done to the glory of God and the work of sharing the gospel and the work of loving your neighbor and the work of discipling and disciplining your children and the work of teaching Sunday school here at church and every other good work you can think of that God calls you to. The scriptures are sufficient to equip us for every good work. Now, this is something that I thought of. There might be some pushback here. Someone might say, well, don't we need the Holy Spirit to do these things? And of course, I would say yes. A thousand times yes. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And nothing of value. But remember, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit works through the Word. There's two passages that I, maybe five years ago or so, I'm like, wait a second, there's this awesome connection between these two passages. It's Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, and Colossians 3, 16. Colossians 5, did I say Colossians 3? I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says this. Don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. So be filled with the Spirit, and the outcome is psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, speaking to one another, and so forth. Colossians 3:16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, admonishing one another, that's speaking to one another, and singing psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. Brothers and sisters, when the God-breathed scriptures are dwelling in us richly, we are full of the Holy Spirit. How could we not be? We're full of the breath of God. The God-breathed word. And then we're complete for every good work that God calls us to. The scriptures are sufficient. So, as the world progresses down a path of narcissistic self-love, 
insanity, confusion, and deception, and every vile practice. We must continue in the word. We must continue in the word that Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We must be committed to all scripture. Now, of course, to be committed to all scripture will set us at odds with the world, no doubt, but Jesus promised this. He said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they hated my word, they'll hate, your, they'll hate what you have to say. To hold to Scripture as God-breathed, as valuable, as sufficient, is to swim against the current. And I would just suggest this. Increasingly, even in Christ, ostensibly Christian circles, God-breathed, valuable, infinitely valuable, and totally sufficient. But as followers of Christ, we say, so be it. Not in some human bravado. God, help us to be faithful, right? If we are going to withstand the tsunami of deception, we must. We must. If we're going to, uh, if we're going to be strong in the face of persecution, we must. And if we're going to be fully equipped to abound in the work of the Lord and the power of of the Holy Spirit for the glory of King Jesus, we must. Amen? We must continue in the God-breathed, infinitely valuable, and totally sufficient scriptures. So, I read this story about, uh, in, in his book, Confessions, St. Augustine, his conversion story. He was an ungodly man. Um, his mother was praying for him for years, though. But he was outside one day, and he, his, his conscience was smiting him, and he heard children singing a song. And this line was repeated. Anyone ever heard the story before? It, it was the Latin phrase, tole leg, lege, I think. Tole lege, take up and read. Take up and read. And he said, I received that as direction from the Lord. And I took my Bible up and read it. And the first passage he read, God used to save him. God's word is powerful. So, to continue in the word of God means we need to take it up and read it. And we need to meditate on it. And we need to immerse ourselves in it. And we need to pray over it. And we need to sing it. And we need to discuss it with others. And we need to sharpen one another with the sword of the Spirit and be built up and equipped in these evil days. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good gift to us. The good gift of your word.